Hello, good afternoon, and we come to John's Gospel, and we're in chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 60 to 71. So if you have your Bible, perhaps we can be turning to John 6. As I said, 660 to 71. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Help us to shut out the noise of every other voice that's clamouring for our attention. And instead, Lord, we come to you. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. In your precious worthy name. Amen. We spent a few weeks looking at the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walking on the water. The bread of life discourse. And now we have the response to Jesus. It's entitled, The Words of Eternal Life. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offence at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him, granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. We all face watershed moments in our life when we have to decide between two different paths. There is no watershed moment in life like more important than what you do with Jesus. I believe in the doctrines of grace. I believe once saved, always saved. But I find no support in the Bible for once you start, you automatically finish. Not if it is a pure external allegiance. Not if it is just showing up for church. Not if it is being a part of the crowd. Many disciples turned away. You can see that at the beginning of the passage, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And then we see it even more clearly, verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And of course, one who was yet with Jesus, one of the intimate circle of 12, those hand-picked disciples with a capital D, one of them would prove to be a devil. There is a deliberate juxtaposition here in this passage. On the one hand, we have Peter's wonderfully bold confession you have the words of eternal life you are the holy one of God 
And here is a disciple with real faith, even if it is not fully developed faith. And then next to that, we have another disciple who will prove not to be a disciple, Judas, with his impending betrayal. And in fact, the language in verse 71 is even more dramatic than you see in the ESV. It is, it is a fine translation, and I'm not correcting the translation. But sometimes when you go from Greek to English, you cannot recreate the exact word order. But in the Greek, the very last words of verse 71 say, one of the twelve. So it's a bit of a cliffhanger. So Peter has made this confession, but then you read in verse 71 that Judas was going to betray him and he was one of the twelve. In other words, you may be close to Jesus. You may be in the inner circle of those who are surrounding Jesus. You may count yourself a fan. Even people may look on you as a disciple of Jesus and you might turn away. Many here turned away in this larger crowd that was following him. And even one of the twelve in the inner circle would betray him. Well, why would you turn away from Jesus? We see in our text several reasons why someone would turn away from Jesus. And we will finish by the flip side why we should not turn away. But first of all, let's have a look at four reasons why you may leave Jesus. You know, you might leave Jesus because he says hard things, number one. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? He has said hard things about flesh and blood, about feasting on him, about living forever because of him, about being sent from the Father. These are familiar to us. We've grown up in the church. But this then was strange, was weird, was unimaginable. They couldn't fathom in particular what he meant when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Some people in the first century opposed Christianity because they thought they were cannibals. We are so used to it and we have the Lord's Supper, we don't think anything of this verse. And somebody has said that if you really want to be a part of my team, my kingdom, my people, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So what does it mean? Or That is how it struck them. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. It makes sense to us now from what we know, but it did not make sense to them. It was a hard saying. Well, it's a good reminder to us that there might be something from God's word that you don't understand. And I'm sure there are things. There are things that I do not understand. Might there be truths? Might there be hard sayings of Jesus? Might there be biblical doctrines you find difficult that you can't reconcile in your head or even more in your heart? Or might it be possible that just as the disciples in that moment said, this is a hard saying, there is no way this makes sense. And now we, with the passage of time and further revelation in the New Testament, can make perfect sense to us. But might it be that some things that are most perplexing to you in the Christian faith, some doctrines most difficult, some sayings of Jesus you find hard to swallow, that perhaps when we learn more, or perhaps when we get to heaven, that we will see that there is an explanation that makes sense. So the explanations on this side of heaven can be puzzling and perplexing 
to us. Somebody once said that when it comes to prayer and unanswered prayer and why God hears prayers and why God does not seem to hear prayers, that when we get to heaven, we'll see that God always answers all of our prayers in the way that is best. And though it doesn't feel like it now, though we cannot see it now, when we see it as he sees things, we, we, <laughs> we see, yes, that was the best. Best for me. Best for the Lord's work. Best for his glory. But at this moment in the life of the disciples, this is a hard saying. And if you want a lot of easy statements, nothing ever confusing, nothing ever controversial, Jesus is not the one you are looking for. And conversely, if you have a Jesus who never says anything hard, then you do not have the Jesus of the Bible. If you never read your Bible and say that is hard. You know, Nadab and Nabihu were killed and Aaron has to go on ministering. Well, that is hard. Eat my flesh and blood. Well, that is hard. Or let the dead bury their dead. That is hard. Turn your back on your father and mother in order to follow Jesus. That is hard. So some of them are ready to leave because Jesus did not say easy things. Confusing things, hard things. They're ready to go. Secondly, you might leave and turn away from Jesus because... You find him offensive. Verse 61, we see that he knew their hearts, but he knew they were grumbling. They were interested in physical realities. They wanted manna. They wanted a military messiah. They wanted, most of all, they wanted more and more miracles. So they're grumbling. And Jesus said, well, why do you take offense at this? Why were they offended? Well, we, we have a pretty good idea. They didn't like what he was saying and they didn't like the implications of what he was saying. And they did not like the idea that they had to give up their self, their own control, their own sense of autonomy. It was only last week that we, we saw what Jesus said. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him, that there is a sovereign work of the Spirit needed to come to him. Well, they would be the last persons in the world they, wouldn't, they would not be the last persons in the world to be scandalised by a high view of God's sovereignty that no one can come except the Father draws them. They were offended. We, we have such a sentimental view of Jesus. He was a great lover of the soul. And yes, he was tender-hearted. And yes, he said, little, let, let little children come unto me. But we are kidding ourselves if we think that we would not have been offended by him. Most of all, they could not believe that Jesus was greater than Moses. That life was only found in him. That he had seen the Father. That everyone who learned from the Father would come to him. So Jesus, knowing their grumbling, says in verse 61, do you take offence at this? And then to make matters worse, in verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Jesus does not let up. It's almost as if he relishes the thought of making things harder. And it seems to be that when following Jesus, contrary to our own instincts, he presents a very small front door and a very wide open back door. And most of us instinctively say it should be the opposite. That we're very inclusive and anyone come and it is easy and follow Jesus and be a Christian. But Jesus says the opposite. He's always saying, are you sure? Do you really want to be here? And then he challenges them some more. 
Jesus could have said, do you take offence at this? Well, let me explain to you who I really, why I really say, why I really am, who I say I am. And I understand why this would be difficult because you've been expecting a different kind of Messiah and I sympathise with where you're coming from. But let me try to explain to you in terms you can understand. He doesn't do that. He says, are you scandalised? Then imagine how scandalised you'll be when you see me ascend to heaven. Because remember, part of their offence is that Jesus is saying and doing these lofty things. Verse 42, they said after he calls himself the bread of heaven, he said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down from heaven? And if you see what Jesus is saying in verse 62, he's following up deliberately on their believing in Jesus earlier. He's saying, you thought it was hard that I came down from heaven. Imagine how scandalised you will be when you see me go back to heaven. You see, earlier they were... They were thought it was hard that he had come from heaven imagine when they see him go back and they're saying you know we know joseph and mary and jesus has siblings and we know where he's from and he's saying he came from heaven and jesus said well if you're offended by that how much more offended will you be when i show you who i am in all my glory seriously have you ever been offended by jesus you can say today the offense really is not Jesus today, it's sexuality or the existence of hell or the difference between men and women. And on all of those issues, or whatever other issue or controversy you may think of, the starting point is Jesus. It is. Is he not only your, is he your saviour, but is he your Lord? Does he get to call the shots of your life does jesus and then with the holy spirit through the inspiration of this book give you what we need to know about god speak only what is true about god in our hearts it always comes back to jesus who is he what did he accomplish is he lord and not just lord but lord of my life if you remember the end to the sermon on the mount the most famous sermon ever preached in matthew 7 28 and 29 when Jesus had finished these sayings the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as scribes that is what they found offensive with Jesus they would not have been offended if it was just a nice man who comes along and says you're hurt and I want to help you of course he cared for people he wept but he comes and he speaks with unrivaled unparalleled authority they were offended the third reason you might turn away from Jesus is because you cannot follow Jesus in your own strength. And we've seen this several times before. John 3, you must be born again. He says to Nicodemus, the spirit blows where he wills. We saw it in verse 44 last week, again in verse 65 this week. Verse 65, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Some of you, Jesus says, will not get it because it has not been granted by the Father for you to get it. Well, that will make some people mad. But the point is not God will keep you from coming to him. The point is you need God to supernaturally, unilaterally, sovereignly work in your life if you're going to come to him. They were offended by that, and people today are offended by that. And look at verse 63. Jesus sums up his point with abundant and offensive clarity. 
It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Well, he make, at least he makes things clear. We are tempted to rely on the flesh, to lean on the things or the attributes or people that we think makes a religious life possible. For some of us, that is our intellect. I can think this through. I can always think things through from the top to the bottom and it will always make sense for me. Some people lean on connections. That makes me worth something in this life, worth something in this church. People I know, places I've been, things I've seen. Well, for some it is family. Do you know who my parents are? Do you know who my grandparents were? Or do you know who my children are? Or maybe we lean on our hard work. God, surely you can see I'm doing the best I can. Nothing would get done around here if I didn't do it. I'm working hard. Or maybe we lean on our good works. God, I'm not perfect, but I'm not killing people. And I haven't had an affair. And I try to be a nice person. Or maybe we lean on our own human initiative or our own free will or our own sense of fairness. Jesus says that we're all tempted to rely on the flesh. And Jesus says you need the spirit. And if you're going to come to Jesus, if you're going to stay with Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, the flesh will not help. There are churches all over this country, sadly, who structure things so that people in the flesh can follow Jesus. We're not interested in doing what we know how to manufacture our own ingenuity and our own planning and our own thought. Now we say, God, unless you come, unless your spirit comes sovereignly, then nothing is going to work. It is the spirit who gives life. It isn't ultimately the preacher who gives life. It isn't the singing that gives life. It is ultimately, though we may use all of those, the spirit. The flesh will not help. Are you just trying to be a Christian in the flesh? Logically, humanly. Or that following Jesus is a matter of my own planning? A few little religious exercises now and then. Try to make it church a few times. Well, no wonder verse watershed Verse, sorry, verse 66 is a watershed in the life of these disciples. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You can tell, you can tell people who want to be around Jesus because they soak up his word. But all too often we make the word about the preacher or, or, or the people. But the word's about Jesus. If you're bored with his word, you're bored with Jesus. You're not following him. It is everything that Jesus has been saying, and in particular, verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After Jesus says this is about the Spirit, is he at work in your life or not? Is it? Is your walk with Jesus spiritual? Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He says hard things. He offends. He will not allow you to do it in your strength. And the final reason, the fourth reason, undergirding them all, why you turn away from Jesus is because you do not really believe. 
They turned from Jesus because they didn't really believe in Jesus. In other words, there are disciples little d and there are disciples big d. There is faith little f and there is faith big f. And when he says in verse 70, did I not choose you? He's not talking of eternal election. He's speaking rather in time of handpicking these 12 to be with him. And one of them, Judas, would prove to be a devil. So do not miss this obvious fact that all of these people have been with Jesus in some external sense. And Judas was in the inner circle. And it doesn't say that he lost his salvation. We're not dealing with these categories. It says that Jesus knew from the beginning who did not believe. Judas never believed. But he looked to other people like he believed. He looked jolly good. He was jolly Hard working. He may have even fooled himself for a time that he believed. But Jesus knew his heart that he had never believed. He'd never come to an end of himself and trusted in the Saviour. He was only with Jesus externally. And this is the fundamental reason for these departures. These people were around Jesus for the benefits, for the show. They wanted manna. They wanted miracles. They were fans of Jesus, but they didn't have Jesus' faith. And we see many reasons they left in verse 60 and verse 66. He says hard things. He says offensive things. He stripped them of their self-reliance. He exposed their unbelief. You're not really here because you put your trust in him. You're here for external reasons. You're here for what sort of benefits you can get from it. You're here because, because family and friends. You're here because it is the thing to do. And if that is why you're here, Jesus says, when it gets hard and when he says hard things and when he says offensive things, you'll be gone. And that has proved true not only in the first century, but every century hereafter, which is why it is no wonder that Jesus asked the question and he does in verse 67. Do you want to go away as well? Why would you stay with Jesus if he says hard things? If he can be offensive, if he exposes your self-reliance if he exposes your unbelief why stay with him well peter gives two reasons and they're the only two reasons we need verse 68 simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you're the holy one of god that's the reason the first reason he has the words of eternal life and peter uses Later in his response, we have believed and have come to know. So he is speaking here for the 12, though he doesn't yet know that Judas will betray Jesus. He echoes Jesus' own words. You have the words of eternal life. Verse 63, Jesus says, the words I have spoken are spirit and life. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight in my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. One of the best, surest signs that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus is that you love the word of God. You love it. You love to eat it and find it and feast on it because you know, like Peter confesses, Jesus, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. You'll find other inspirational figures in history. You will find impressive people. You will find amazing teachers. You will find men and women who are sufferers in the face of injustice. You will find religious figures who can draw a crowd. But you will not find anywhere else but Jesus. 
the words of eternal life. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And he says, second, not only what you have, Jesus, but who you are. He has the words of eternal life. But secondly, he is the Holy One of God. We can be certain that Peter's private theology understanding doesn't match his public profession here. But this is profound. This is beautiful. And it really is a wonderful confession. He is saying that Jesus is not another holy man. He is the Holy One. He is the one sent from the Father. He is the one to show us the Father. He is the one who is our way to the Father. It is an amazing confession. And remember, they saw Jesus and as far as they could tell, he had parents and brothers and sisters just like them. He looked like them. He probably had dark olive skin. He, looked, he was a Middle Easterner. He had a name just like them. They f- saw him fall asleep just like them. He ate just like them. He was a, a man. So it's a remarkable thing that Peter would say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus demands worshippers, disciples, believers, which is why many left him. It is better to have a church of 15 earnest, committed Christians than a church of 500 people sleepwalking through Christianity. Jesus would blow up our notions of tying our fidelity to the size. In Acts, thousands of people came to know the Christ. Praise God. But here at this moment, you see all sorts of people leaving Christ. If popularity is the measure of success, then Jesus' speech is an abject failure. Think about it. He preaches this sermon, a better sermon than you will ever hear from any pastor. And what is the result of this sermon? The church thins out. People leave. It is a good reminder for all the times that I've been tempted to think that if only I preached well, the church I was in would grow. If, if we only gave the best sermons and the place would be full, we can pray for those things. But Jesus shows us that he alone can preach the truest sermon from the Son of God himself. And membership went down and many left him because Jesus is not just another rabbi. He isn't the son of Mary and Joseph. He's not just the son of Mary and Joseph. He's not just interested in he's not interested in half hearted, unreflective followers who hang around. He's the bread of life. And whoever comes to Jesus will never hunger. And whoever believes in Jesus will never thirst. Do you want to go away as well? Or do you want to come as the Spirit gives you grace to come? As the Father enables you to come. That you may hear the words of eternal life. And that you may know eternal life. To God be the glory. Great things he has done.